0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Philippians 2, 1-11. through 11. You've heard the old saying, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. And Maybe you could adjust that statement sometimes to It's not whether you win or lose, it's who you play with. Because even if you think about sports, few things can be more draining than being on a team where there is disunity. And few things can be more life giving and enjoyable than being on a team that is unified, where you love one another, where you would go to battle for one another. And that's obviously not just true if you think back to when you were young playing sports, that's true in so many things in life. It applies often to Work. Yeah, I mean, few things are more enjoyable than going to work every day when you love the people that you work with. And few things can be as harder uh, than going to work where there is disunity and drama. And this obviously applies to the church as well. And maybe you've been a Christian long enough to experience both of these realities, uh, to experience um, disunity and the pain that that can cause, or to experience the joy and the wonder of unity. And to anybody that's had a taste of both, I guarantee it's 100% we would all prefer unity to disunity. Well, how do we get there? How do we get to that joy of unity? And that's a part of what we are seeing here in Philippians. We saw some of that at the end of chapter one, and we're going to see more of that now in chapter two. If you go back to chapter one, he talks about them being worthy of the gospel with their manner of life, or it could be translated really being good gospel citizens. And one way they're supposed to do that is with one mind striving side by side. For the faith of the gospel. Now, we see that again in chapter two. And we see a prescription for unity. But even when we think about unity as something that we want, we need to realize unity is going to come when what we want really is last in the pecking order. Because what we will see, unity comes from ultimately having a right acknowledgement of Christ and a right prioritization of Christ. And then a focus on others. And then when you are in last place out of those elements, that's where unity is most likely to come. And like I said, it really starts with Christ. In verse one and two, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, verse one really works to remind us of all that we have in Christ. We have this abundant spiritual resource in him. And that echoes nicely what we saw in Ephesians. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So yes, even verse one, the if there could be translated with more of the sense of since. So since there is encouragement in Christ and comfort from love and participation of the spirit, you have everything you need in Christ. Even think of uh, vacation. Did you take a vacation in this last year? Well, that vacation was to some extent limited by your resources. Think back maybe to that vacation. What would you have done if money was no object? Well, you might've stayed somewhere a little nicer. You might've gone somewhere a little different. You might've eaten different food along the way if money was no object. But in that case, clearly you, you were constrained by a budget. Here, when it comes to loving other people, We often think, well, you know, I am limited to this and I can't do that. How would you think about relationships if spiritual resources were no object? Because that's the idea. You have unlimited resources in Christ. Start to think that way in your relationships about other people. And when Paul says, complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, I think some of that is really calling us back even to his example, uh, that we would have the same mind as him, the same love as him. And what is that? Well, we saw that in chapter one, for to me, to live is Christ. And even though dying and being with Christ would be better, I'm excited to be here for you you Uh, because I love Christ and I can't love Christ without loving his people. Uh, So that's the start of unity. Unity will begin when you have a group of people that all ultimately care most about honoring Christ. That's where unity will flow from. And and then from that, there will be an intentional uh, focus, a, a kind of an active concern for others. And that's what you see in verses three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here... Uh, it's telling you what not to do, not from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So see, there's a there's an activeness to this thought. It's not just don't think about yourself. It's really, no, you need to think about others more important than yourself. You, you need to look out to the interests of others. This isn't just passive. This is active in how we think about other people. So it starts with Christ, and acknowledgement of the unlimited spiritual resources we have in him. It flows then from a passion for Christ then into an active concern for others. And then in verse five, he's really saying this isn't just my mindset, this same mind that you need to have. It's the mindset that Christ had and verses five through eleven is very rich in theology. Also, it has some parts that are much debated in theology. What does this emptying himself mean? But what I want you to notice is the primary point of verses five through eleven isn't to make some you know academic theological point. It is to make a very pastoral. Point. The whole point of all the rich theology in verses 5 through 11 is to give you an example that you should follow so that you would be selfless. It's saying you need to consider others more important than yourself. Think like Jesus did, who, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, by taking the form of a servant. And that's where I would say, you don't need to read any commentaries to just look at the plain reading of the text to see what does it mean that he emptied himself? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's how he emptied himself. He emptied himself by the incarnation, by being born in the likeness of a man. And he's not holding on to what was his And that's the example you've got to follow. Sometimes to love other people, you're going to need to not hold on to what you could rightfully claim is yours. You're going to be willing to give that up for the sake of serving others. And then he goes on to pour himself out in service as he emptied himself in the incarnation. And then he submits to the will of God, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then that ends there in a doxology that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. These are amazing words here, but it shows the end of this true selflessness is glory. And I'd like you to rewind the tape. If you've been following along with us all year, if you go all the way back to John 13, we talked about, well, how do you love others? And we see there Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, he was enabled by this understanding that he had come from God and he was going back to God. It was this knowledge that God's got me that enabled him to empty himself by serving the disciples in that particular instance because he knew he was going back to God. He knew that he didn't need to demand glory from his disciples in that moment. No, he could be the selfless servant because he knew that God would Uh, glorify him. Now, obviously you are not going to be exalted to the right hand of God like Christ uniquely is, but we need to seek the right kind of glory. That more than the approval of men, more than earthly power or prestige, I care about the glory that comes from God. And so I'm going to serve others. And even if I don't get any glory in that I'm going to trust the glory that he will give me and the approval that he will give me uh, on the day of of judgment. So do you want unity? Of course we all do, but it's going to have to start with well. you actually need to desire Christ more than you're desiring unity. Unity will flow from a shared desire that we've seen here in Paul uh, of people that say for to me to live is Christ. My life is not about me. My life is not about my preferences. My Comfort. Uh, my life is about Christ. And I, I can make those sacrifices because I have everything that I need in Christ. So it starts with him putting Christ first and then an active concern in putting others first. That's where we will experience this kind of selfless unity and love. And this is what will lead ultimately to true glory. And I hope this passage helps all of us not just to wish for more unity coming from others, but to pursue the right path ourselves or with Christ first and then seeking to actively love others and then enjoying the unity and the glory that comes in the wake of that. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.